Amen. Be seated. I want to just remind you that next week we are having a church potluck over at Webster following the service. And following the potluck, this is something that, that we just decided to do this week, but I think it's going to be very, very important. After the potluck next week, we are going to do a prayer walk. Um, and actually, the teaching concluding our series on the armor of God next week is going to be the power of prayer. And next week after the potluck, we're going to do a prayer walk beginning at Lake School, going to the Gunnison Community School and the middle school and then to the high school. And we're going to anoint and pray over those facilities where our kids attend and go to school just as the, the school year begins we all know that there's been some tragedy over the course of the past few months in our community with the young people. And I think it is so important, obviously, that we be praying for them. And I just want to symbolically and significantly, uh, as a congregation, join together in prayer as we enter into this new school year for our kids um, to restrict the power of the enemy. You know, Prayer is powerful, as I said. Prayer works. Prayer is the avenue through which we connect to the unlimited resources of God. So that's what we're going to be doing. So hopefully you will be able to join us. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll just leave from here, go down to Lake School, and then just walk from school to school, anointing and praying for them. And hopefully you'll be able to join with us. Today, however, we're not talking about prayer. We are talking about the sword of the Spirit in our series on the armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, we read this in verse 17. Last week we talked about the helmet of salvation. It says that we are also to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, the sword of the Spirit, this is an offensive weapon. All of the other weaponry that we've seen up to this point has been primarily defensive. Not that some of it could not be used in an offensive way. We talked about with the shield of faith, how that shield was used to advance upon uh, a location that the enemy had uh, held. But specifically, the sword of the Spirit is designed to be offensive. Now, in turn, it also can be used in a defensive fashion, but primarily, again, it is designed to be offensive in our battle against the enemy of our souls. So, why is the Word of God called the sword of the Spirit? Well, it's because it is the Holy Spirit that authored this book. Peter says in his second epistle that holy men of old spake as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. So it was the Holy Spirit who worked through the prophets, through the various people who authored this book and brought it together. So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, that phrase there, the Word of God in the Greek, uh, the word there is a Greek word, rhema. It's a different word than we read in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Greek word translated is logos. And they're quite different words. Logos is sort of the mind of God. That uh, originating 
thought of God. That's why Jesus is characterized as the Logos, the Word of God. In this particular passage, the Word of God is the Rhema, which means a word fit for the moment, precisely suitable for the time needed. So the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is the Holy Spirit within us speaking the Word of God through us to meet the need of that particular situation. Now, in a spiritual battle, that's a good thing. To be able to wield that sword just the right way for the battle at the moment. Now, all of us, and we've, we've talked about this over the past several weeks, have battles that we are fighting, struggles that we are going through, situations that we are encountering that sometimes seem far beyond our capacity. And that's why we need the, the armor of God. But specifically, as we fight this offensive battle against Satan and the sword of the Spirit, the ability to speak forth the Word of God in an appropriate fashion at the right moment helps us to slay, in a very literal sense, the enemy's attacks against us. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes about the struggle that Christians face. He says, we'll begin in verse 15, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. Now, pay attention there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Where did John get these terms from? Well, he did not uh, create them on his own. They actually come out of Genesis chapter 3. And the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Now, of course, there I pointed out to you in the past that Eve actually adds to the Word of God there because God never actually told them that they could not touch it, just that they were not to eat of it. So she adds to the Word of God. But listen here to what happens next. The serpent says to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So again, Satan is tempting her. He is attacking her. He is trying to get her to disobey the Word of God. And as he does this, look what happens in verse 6 of chapter 3. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food, the lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, the lust of the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
the pride of life. She took some of it and ate it. Who is the God of this world? Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. And everything that is in the world, John wrote, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that is not from the Father. It is from the world. And of course, it originates with Satan, just as it did here in this temptation of Eve. Now, as Satan is attacking Eve through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and Eve gives in to that, notice what is missing from this encounter. What is missing from this encounter? Eve is not able to resist or to defend against Satan's temptation, Satan's deception with the Word of God. In fact, the one time she does wield the Word of God, she does so inaccurately. She says that God said that we must not touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was not correct. So she has the ability to use the sword of the Spirit, but she's not doing it. And as a result, is defeated by the enemy. So that sets the precedent. Then in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went through a very similar experience when he was in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So notice right away, the lust of the flesh. Satan is tempting Jesus with the lust of the flesh. But Jesus responds, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now certainly, Jesus, it says, was hungry. He would have liked to have eaten at this point. But not eating at the direction of or the influ- under the influence of the enemy. So what does Jesus do? He wields the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and responds to the temptation of the enemy with the Word of God at an appropriate moment, saying, Man shall not live by bread alone. Quoting from Deuteronomy. Next. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Notice here, Satan is using the Word of God here. He's quoting out of Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan's upping the battle here. He's, this, is, this is the pride of life. He says, if you're, if, if you're really the Son of God, he's up on the temple, throw yourself down. The Word of God says that the angels will catch you. They won't let anything happen to you. But Jesus answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. True, the angels would minister to him. In fact, as this temptation concludes, we see that the angels minister to Jesus. But Jesus knows that the Scripture that takes preeminence in this particular situation is not putting the Lord his God to the test. So again, wielding the the sword of the Spirit. And finally, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. 
All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. So the lust of the eyes, everything that the whole world had to offer, Jesus could see. Satan showed it to him and offered it to him if Jesus would simply bow down and worship Satan. Now, of course, if Jesus had done that, he would not have had possession of those kingdoms. Satan would still have possession of those kingdoms. Because if Jesus bowed down and worshipped Satan, who's in charge? Satan, exactly. But this is the lust of the eyes. And Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. So the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Isn't that great? Just as the Scriptures said they would. But notice in this passage how Jesus was able to do what Eve and Adam could not. He was able to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and use it appropriately at the right moment when the temptation was coming to him. Now, you and I have that same experience. Jesus his experience in the wilderness was not unique. I mean, it was unique in, in the respect that He was the Son of God and He had been fasting for 40 days. But His experience was not unique in the sense that Satan came and tempted Him to disobey God. To move away from God's will for His life. Every one of you here this morning experiences that same kind of temptation at one point or another, don't you? How many of you were tempted this week to do something that you absolutely knew was against the will of God? Yeah, almost every hand in, in this room raised. It's true. It happens all the time. Satan's temptations against us, his battle to try to get us to fall away from God is relentless. And it can take on all kinds of forms. It often happens in our minds, doesn't it? Thoughts come in there occasionally it occurs in our emotions feelings well up within us sometimes it's simply in our flesh and there's a struggle within our flesh that causes us to want to move away from God and from his will for us so this experience that Jesus had was illustrative of how we are to fight the battle wielding the sword of the spirit the Word of God. Now that's not an easy thing to do. There is work on our part that is required. In 2 Timothy, chapter 2, yeah, here it is. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. I'm reading from the NIV. I've memorized this one in the New King James. In the New King James, it says, Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In the NIV, it says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So there is a responsibility that every Christian has to be a workman, 
to study this book, to hide the word of God in your heart. That's what David said. He said, your word, O Lord, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. In the same psalm, Psalm 119, David asked the question, how can a young person avoid sinning against God? And then he answers the question by saying, by hiding your word in their heart. So this word, we have to study it. We have to be workmen, showing ourselves approved, rightly dividing or correctly handling the word. That's what it means to wield the sword of spirit, that rhema word of God. The ability to take the word of God and at the right moment, in response to the temptation at hand, be able to slay the enemy, just as Jesus did. You're not going to be able to wield the sword of the Spirit, the rhema of God, if you haven't studied. If you haven't put some time in to Bible study. And there's plenty of opportunity for us to do that. Plenty of opportunity. Certainly on Sunday mornings uh, as I teach, that's at a good time to, to get into the Word. Uh, there are many abundant life groups that are going to be taking up again in this fall. We're going to be announcing those to you so that you know different places you can get into a a small group setting and study the Word of God. So we'll be making that known to you. Also, though, it's really important that you just spend some time on your own devotionally reading this book and, and hopefully studying it, getting yourself some Bible study helps around you so that you can get into this book and hide this Word in your heart. Because as it is hidden in your heart, when that temptation comes... When that temptation comes to you, you will be able to respond to it. When the enemy comes and says to you, you're worthless. You have no value in this life. No hope. What's the point? You can respond. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I reign with Him. And I do have value, and I have worth, and I have a purpose. When Satan comes against you and says, this is not the Word of God, it's just a book. Why are you spending time studying this? There's so many other things you could be doing with your time that would be so much more valuable. You're able to come against that with Isaiah 40, verse 8, that says, the Word of God shall abide forever. There's so many different temptations. I mean, I could go through them all morning. We've all experienced them in your marriage, in your parenting, in your job. You know, so many temptations to just take those little diversions away from what you know is right. It's okay if you take that. No one will notice. Except for God's always watching, isn't he? So the sword of the Spirit, being able to take it up when those thoughts come into your mind, when those emotions overwhelm you and you feel all alone and you feel like no one in the world cares. And Satan is saying exactly that. He's saying, why don't you just end it? Why don't you just stop this suffering? You can go to 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Or Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. That's using the sword of the Spirit at the right moment, in the right way. Fighting the battle against Satan. Understanding that the sword of the Spirit is powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is living. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide asunder the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So it's not just that the sword of the Spirit is something that you can wield, that you can quote, but it has power. It's alive. It's living. It is able to absolutely defeat the enemy and to slay those thoughts, those emotions that Satan would stumble you with. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says that the Word of God is imperishable. In other words, it's indestructible. As I said, Isaiah 48, 40 verse 8. It will abide forever. Jesus said, the heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. So the sword of the Spirit is powerful. It is indestructible. And it accomplishes exactly what God intends it to accomplish. Isaiah 55, 11. My word... God says, will go forth and it will accomplish what I have intended it to. So when you wield that sword of the Spirit, when you quote that verse in response to the temptation, you can absolutely be assured that it will be effective. Now, I'm saying this to you to help you to understand that this is not just a game that we play. It's eternal life and death. It's a battle for our souls, for the fruitfulness of our lives. Because if Satan can't separate you from God, he will absolutely try to diminish your fruitfulness for God. And it's the Word that is going to allow you the strength and the ability to cut through all of that stuff that keeps you from having a fruitful garden as a Christian. You want your marriages to be fruitful, don't you? You want your marriages to abound and to be everything that they can possibly be. You, you can achieve that using the sword of the Spirit, allowing God's Word, God's rhema at that right moment, the right time. Men, I know I'm speaking to some of you out there. That, that click, when you're just getting ready to go to that site, it's like, whoa, how did that get there? That happened to me just this week. I have a bunch of different news sites that I go through to check, check a different um, news. And I, I like to go from the far left to the far right and everything in between to sort of see what's out there. So I'm, I'm on a particular news site, and all of a sudden there's a pop-up that comes onto my screen. 
and a pop-up. Fortunately, it didn't have any images on there, but it had some words, and it said, you, if you click on here, you will see naked bodies. I'm sitting in my office there, all alone, doors locked. I'm thinking, click or not click? The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. I will set no vile thing before my eyes out of the book of Job. And so I closed out. Jason came in. Thank God, Jason. This thing popped up on my computer. Accountable. How do I keep this from happening again? Now, that, I'm not the only one that this is happening to. Men. And I say men because we're a little bit more prone to the whole pornography thing. But ladies, you have your same temptations, don't you? Different things that, that come across your lives, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You've got to be able, in that moment, when you're all alone in your office and no one else is going to know what you do if you take that action, except for God, and use the sword of the Spirit to defend and to take an offensive approach against the enemy. Away from me, Satan. Get thee behind me. You can have that fruitful life, that fruitful marriage. Husbands, wives, if you take that approach using the sword of the Spirit to defeat the enemy when those temptations come. I want to conclude with a passage. It's an Old, Old Testament passage, but it's a really, really cool. I think it's in 1 Samuel. Second Samuel. And, and this is, I think, a, a great scripture to help paint a picture for us of how intense this battle can be. In Second Samuel 23, it's talking about David's mighty men and the battles that they fought the intensity of those battles and, and some of the things that they accomplished in those battles. And there's a man named Eleazar who's one of David's mighty warriors. It says, Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahite, As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated Everybody around Eleazar is retreating, running from the enemy. But Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to his sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Eleazar used that sword so significantly that his hand was literally frozen to it. He couldn't let go. That's what I'm talking about, wielding the sword of the Spirit, getting this Word so into our hearts that when the Spirit prompts us, when we're in that moment of, of potential compromise, as Eve was, we are so frozen to this book, and it is so a part of our hearts that we are 
absolutely able to stand our ground and to defeat him. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you for the sword of the Spirit that is given to us. The ability that we have to fight this battle through your word, through the rhema that comes to us at the right moment, used in the right way to defeat the enemy. And there are people hearing my voice today, people sitting in this congregation, Lord, who have been defeated, who have struggled because they have not frozen their hand to your sword. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we would become mighty warriors alongside our King Jesus Christ, wielding the sword of the Spirit, not allowing the temptation of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to defeat us. For we have a life far beyond this world that is more real than things we can see, taste, and feel. Bless this congregation, Lord God, with a mighty anointing of your Spirit that we might yield the sword as we are. In Jesus' name, amen.